0: Well, as Kip said, my name is Mark Powell, and I'm one of the shepherds here. Our preaching minister, Josh Ross, is on sabbatical for the month of July, and uh, it's a real pleasure for me to be able to share with you this morning. As Kip said, I work with Harding School of Theology, and in that role, I get to work with a lot of ministers and a lot of churches. And I wanted to say, starting off, that uh, for those of you who are are part of the Sycamore View family, if you don't know this, you need to, Uh, we have an outstanding ministry staff. And we may take that for granted sometime. We shouldn't. I'm thankful for what we as a church do to try to support them and help them. Uh, But we really have an outstanding staff. And I am thankful uh, for one, that they model good, healthy spiritual practices for us. Practices like the importance of rest or the importance of periods of prayer and discernment. Or they pray about what God's doing in their lives, their ministries, this church here at Sycamore View, uh, the world that we're a part of. And so we have a ministry staff that's not only highly competent, uh, but that are also spiritual leaders. And uh, I, for one, really appreciate that about them. This morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 5. And as we turn to God's Word, let's go to God in prayer. God, truly, it has been a blessing to be in your presence this morning and to be with your people. God, it's been good to sing songs of praise and to shout your name. It's been good to fellowship with one another at the table, to remember what Christ has done for us in his death and in his resurrection, and how, God, we can call you Abba, Father, And God, right now, as we turn to your word, we do ask uh, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would give us hearts that are open to your word. God, we pray that your spirit would minister to us as we need to be ministered to. God, we pray that you would help us to live out what you're calling us to do. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So it's the summer of superheroes. Last week, uh, Kip went around and asked us who our favorite superhero was. If I uh, was able to have one superpower, I've already decided what it's going to be, and it's not going to be the uh, ability to fly. That would be neat. Uh, it wouldn't be the ability to be real strong, superhuman strength. I've already got that. Just <laughs> kidding. Uh, it wouldn't be the ability to be really fast. If I could have any superpower, it'd be one that probably one or two of you in this room already have, and that is the ability to remember people's names. (laughs) If I could just remember your name, so somebody I meet for the first time, to be able to remember it, or even people I've known for 10, 15 years, and they come up to you and you're just like, I just can't quite recall your name. Uh, Just to have that ability, wow, how uh, important would that be? How great would that be? There's something about our names that's very personal to us. It's our name. And when someone knows it, they know something important about us. When they remember it, they remember something that's important about us. A lot of our names mean something. So I have two sons here with me today. And they were named after their grandfathers and great-grandfathers who were men of great faith, And so when Debbie and I named our boys, we named them after family members who were people of faith, and we wanted them to one day grow into that faith and also be people of great faith. Maybe some of you are named after biblical characters. Uh, My name is Mark, so there's a gospel that's named after Mark. This last week I called my dad and I said, Dad, why did uh, you and Mom name me Mark? And he says, I have no idea. I think she just liked the way it sounded. (laughs) So... uh, Maybe some of you have names that your parents just like the way they sounded. And if so, uh, that's great as well. I had a friend growing up in high school who I played soccer with. And his nickname was Pee Wee. But the problem is Pee Wee was a very tall and athletic guy. At some point, he never got rid of his nickname. I guess his mom gave it to him. It stuck with the family. Uh, but sometimes we literally can even outgrow our nicknames, as the case was with Pee Wee. Well, we're in Exodus chapter 34, and here uh, God is going to come to Moses, and he's going to reveal his glory, and he's also going to reveal the divine name. Now in biblical times, your name usually had something to do with your character or your destiny. It said something important about you. So imagine being Moses, God's going to pass before you, you're going to see the glory of God and hear God's name. So in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. This morning, we're going to focus on the first part of uh, this revelation of God's name and His character. And that is the words, the Lord, the Lord. Now, in most English translations, when you get there in verse uh, 5 and verse 6, and it says, the Lord, or in verse 6, the Lord, the Lord. uh, This is stated twice for emphasis. But in most English translations, you have a capital L, and then an uppercase, O-R-D. So it's a different script. And this is hinting to us that this isn't just a title. So God is like Sir or Lord or Master, but this is actually the divine name, the Lord. Now, if you take the Hebrew letters, bring them over to English, the letters are Y-H-W-H, the divine name. We don't know exactly how to say the divine name because in Hebrew you don't have... Vowels, you just have consonants. And then, also, after a while, Jewish people stopped saying the divine name for fear of taking God's name in vain and breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And so, oftentimes, what they would do instead of saying uh, the divine name, they would substitute it with another word, another title. Uh, One that was probably most popular is the title, the word Adonai, which in Hebrew means Lord that explains a lot of times in our English Bibles when we see the divine name. It's in a different script, but they use the word Lord because of the heritage of the Jewish people who when they saw the divine name would say Adonai, Lord. Now in English you may have heard Jehovah, and that's the divine name. And how you get Jehovah, if you look up on the screen here, if you take YHWH, the consonants for the divine name, and if you look up above there, Adonai, the Hebrew word for Lord, if you take the vowels of Adonai and put it in between the consonants, you get Yehovah or Jehovah. And as creative and interesting as that is, that's probably not God's name, Jehovah. But uh, we do think that closer to how it would be said, and probably how it was said, is Yahweh, which we just sang in the song, Yahweh, Yahweh. That would be the divine name. The word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, is related to the uh, word I am. And if you'll recall in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses first meets God at the burning bush, God reveals his name there to Moses as well. And God calls Moses to go deliver the people of Israel up out of Egyptian slavery. Well, Moses begins to have a number of objections to God for this call. And in one of these objections... God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So uh, the name Yahweh is grammatically related to I am who I am. And so here uh, when Moses sees the glory of God and hears the divine name, Uh, he does uh, get to hear from God God's name and learns more about God's character. This morning, I want to focus on four things that I think the divine name tells us. And uh, the first thing when we think of the divine name is it reminds us that God is personal. When we say that God is personal, we're not saying God is a human being But rather, God is personal in the sense that God does things that persons would do. God speaks and God acts. God has feelings. God loves. Now, that might not uh, mean much to you, or you may take that for granted. But in many of the world religions, uh, especially those in the East, when we think of the divine, people often think more in impersonal terms. So there's a divine reality that might undergird all things and hold all things together. In Hollywood, uh, this type of thinking about the divine is real popular. So in Star Wars, Star Wars fans, the force. It's not a personal god, but it's this spiritual power that undergirds all things. For those of you who like the Lion King, the circle of life. It's this power that holds all things together. But it's not a personal power. And sometimes even, like with the force, you might can even manipulate the divine to get your will. Well, in Scripture, when God comes to Moses, God isn't some force or impersonal power. God is personal. And so to illustrate the importance of this, uh, I want you to take, I think most of you where you're sitting, you have a songbook in the pew right in front of you. It's a blue songbook. Those of you on the praise team, it's right there under your seat. So grab a songbook. I think that's the closest object that we all have. And uh, you may have to dust it off been a while since we've used the song books but we're going to use it for a sermon illustration and i want you to spend just a moment looking at the psalm book what color is it look at the font i think on the spine there's a little logo maybe have the little ribbon in it just take a moment investigating your songbook. book all right now you can put your songbook book up that's it we're not going to use them again for another 10 years And once you've done that, I want you to turn to someone who's sitting by you, and I want you to look them straight in the eyes. That's a different experience, isn't it? Uh, if you're one of our guests this morning the Sycamore View, welcome. That was awkward. Uh, but that gives us a sense, right? If God is some divine reality, maybe we can investigate it and study it and manipulate it and use it. But if God is a person, then God is someone who, when we look at, looks back at us. And in fact, in a far more intense gaze than uh, the neighbor sitting by you would. In fact, uh, God told Moses that he couldn't see God face to face or he would die. He could see the glory of God, but he couldn't see God face to face or he would die. Our God is personal. Why does that matter? It's tempting to uh, want the divine to be this impersonal divine reality because then we can have this spiritual principle in the world, but this spiritual principle doesn't really make demands on us. Maybe we can even manipulate this spiritual principle for our own good. But that's not God. God is personal. God has a name. And here's what God does that the force can't do. God loves us. God loved the people of Israel when they were in slavery for 400 years. God is able to act. God can deliver us. God can save us. So as the people of Israel call out in prayer... To God, because of their oppression, there is a personal God who loves, who acts, who delivers, who saves. Israel needs a personal God. One who acts. Second thing we see about God. God is holy other. The name Yahweh, or the name I am who I am, tells us that God is not like us. God is the sovereign creator. We exist, and we live, and we move, and we have our being because of God, but it's not the other way around. And we need to be careful not to confuse our desires and our will with God's desires and God's will. One of the places where, to me, this is most clearly illustrated is in Joshua chapter 5, When Joshua and the people of Israel are about to go into the promised land, and the first city they're going to take over is Jericho. And let me just read Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. That happens a lot, doesn't it? When someone comes uh, before the presence of God, they fall face down on the ground in reverence. We saw that earlier with Moses. Surely, if ever there was a time... When the answer to the question, you know, God, are you on our side or on uh, our enemy side? I mean, God had just taken them up out of Egyptian slavery. They're about to go into the promised land. Seems like an odd question. The commander of the army of the Lord, seems to me, could have very easily said, well, of course I'm on your side, right? I mean, that's what this whole thing's about. But that's not what it said. Joshua needs to remember here at the beginning of their conquest of the promised land that the answer is neither. God's not on their side. God's not on the side of their enemies. The important thing is not is God on our side. The important thing is, are we on God's side? And I think this is so for, important for us to remember. That God is wholly other. And I just encourage you uh, this morning and even through this week. Just reflect on how you imagine God. Who you think God to be. Because if God looks just like someone from your political party, whatever party that might be, and holds the platform of your political party without any qualifications, maybe you don't worship Yahweh. This last week we celebrated Independence Day, and I am proud to be an American. I love this country. I am thankful for those who serve in any branch of government, the armed forces, and more. Uh, I'm very thankful to be a part of this country. But we have to always remember, God's not on our side. We need to be on God's side. And if we simply just assume God is on our side, are we worshiping Yahweh, the great I Am? And as we follow God... If there's nothing that we have to give up, or if there's nothing in our lives that have to change, if we have these desires, these deep desires, and we know they're against God's will and God's word, and we think, well, maybe they really don't have to change. Maybe God's okay with this. Maybe we don't worship Yahweh because God is calling us to change, to be more like Him. This morning we gave financially... And I'm an elder now, and I care about the budget, but I would have said this before I was an elder. If we're not somehow sacrificing financially, if that's not a part of our spiritual walk, if there's something we don't give up that we can't do that we would like to do, then maybe Yahweh isn't our God. I'll let you think about that for a moment. God is the great I am. God is holy other. We need to be on God's side. God's not on our side. God has created us in God's image. We're not trying to create God in our image. And in fact, in Jesus Christ, in our sin, we we move away from imaging God, but in, in Christ, He is the perfect image of God. He's shaping us to be more like God to look like the image of God. Yahweh is other than us and he's calling us to be like God, not for us to be like uh, not for him to be like us. A third thing, God is present. I think this is interesting when uh, God first comes to Moses and he identifies himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The people of Israel had been enslaved for about 400 years. And so uh, this last week for Independence Day, we were talking about guys like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. But you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would have been even further in the past, further distant than George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. For those in slavery, all those stories about God and what God did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were part of a distant past something that God had done in the past with their ancestors. Maybe they continued to have some worship of this God because, hey, we're Jews, that's what Jews do, right? We worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But when God comes to Moses, He says, I am. Not, I used to be, I was, but I am. And God was going to do something more powerful than He had ever done in the the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with Moses and the people of Israel in their day. God is the great I am. And for us, um, I don't think it's necessarily bad for it to be habitual for us to come to worship. There are times I come to worship when I don't feel like it and I think God, God uses that. But we can't over time. We just show up here because, hey, that's what my folks did, and that's what my grandparents did, and that's just what we do, right? Because we're just, we go to Sycamore View Church. And we read this book here, and it's about all these great things in the past that God has done. He delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, He raised Jesus from the dead, He did amazing things in the early church, but that's all back in the distant past. But God is the great I am. God is present, God is active, and the God who did great things in the past. We read those in anticipation that God's going to do great things in the present as well. Finally, uh, also God is relational. When God reveals his name to Moses and the people of Israel, God wants to enter into a committed relationship with them a covenant relationship with them. He's going to be their God, they're going to be his people. And so he reveals the name, Yahweh, I Am. And we see this through Scripture where God is given different names. and There's even this kind of uh, increased understanding of the name of God. By the time you get to the New Testament, the name of God, I would say, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in particular, the, t- the title Father for God. I don't think Father is just a metaphor. So God is like a father, or he functions like a father rather it really functions more like a name that God is Father He's Abba and we're invited into a relationship with God as our Father Uh, this text that we read this morning for the Lord's Supper in Galatians chapter 4 beginning in verse 4 when the set time had fully come God sent His Son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has also made you an heir. This blows my mind, and just think about this for a moment. Jesus is the Son of God who's become human, but the Son and the Father have an eternal relationship. It goes back before the creation of the world. And when we come to Christ in faith, when we are united with Him in baptism, we enter into the relationship that Jesus the Son has with the Father. We share the same relationship Jesus has with the Father, and we too can call God Father, or even Abba. And that blows my mind. This afternoon, I'll call my dad. Love my dad. We have a great relationship. And sometimes when I call, my dad's not there. Maybe they're downstairs watching a movie. Maybe he and mom have gone out to the lake. Maybe they're out at a restaurant eating. Sometimes I have to leave a message. I don't have a perfect access even to my own father. But at any moment we can come into the presence of the living God, call God Father, through Jesus Christ, be a child of the living God, and have access to God at any moment. Our God is a relational God. He's calling us into life with Him. My like task right now our prayer leaders, if you'll go ahead and, and get to your spots, and our shepherds who want to come down to the front. We're about to sing a song, and uh, after the song, if you'd like to uh, receive prayer from the church, if you want to learn more about how you can walk with Christ, we encourage you to do that. But before we get started, Kip, sorry, I think I'm cueing us a little too early. (laughs) We're not quite ready. I just want us to think for just a little bit some of the implications that God has a name and it's more than a name. I mean, when we pray... When we pray, we're able to call God Father. He's our Father. And when we pray, we don't pray, God, that our kingdom come, our will be done. We pray, as with the Lord's prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we pray in expectation because we follow a living God who acts and who loves us and who cares. When we read this, this Bible... These are words that are ancient words, words of the past, and yet God's Spirit works through these to convict us of the truth of God and God's call on our lives. God's living and active. His Spirit is at work as we read this text. And and we worship a God who we're not just talking about distant things, past things, but present things. Are we open to hearing God's voice? Are we we open to uh, where God is leading us? We can live our lives as Christians with some expectancy, right? Because God is present, God is active, God is personal. And maybe there's somebody here, and I'm almost certain there is. Really, all of us, uh, by the grace of Christ, this is where we are. Maybe there's somebody here just like the people of Israel. You are in slavery, maybe not to the Egyptians. But you're enslaved to sin... You're addicted. And you realize there's absolutely nothing that you can do to change that. You've tried. It hasn't worked. You're at the bottom. Here's why the name of God matters. If that's you this morning, and it's all of us, we worship a God who's the great I am. A personal God who loves us, who sees you in your situation, who loves you, who has a plan for you, and who is able to save. He's mighty to save. And so if there's anything we can do for you this morning, let us know. Let's stand and sing our song of encouragement together.